The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. Dave LaGreca. Today I host with Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer as we talk about the life and career of one of the most influential wrestlers of all time, and that's superstar Billy Graham. We give him a tribute with George Napolitano and Keith Elliott Greenberg right here on the Busted Open Podcast. Author, columnist for Inside the Ropes, and was co-author with superstar Billy Graham for his book back in 2007, Tangled Ropes. You still can order and purchase on Amazon, so make sure you do that if you really want to get the full story of superstar Billy Graham's career. And that is friend of the show, Keith Elliott Greenberg. Keith, thanks so much for the time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate being given the opportunity to talk about a Wayne or superstar Billy Graham. Talk about that book. You know, already Tommy and I referenced the book many times this morning. You know, talk about sitting down with him and writing that book back in 2007 and him reflecting on his career. Well, you know, for, for that that book got off to a very good start. For one thing, he requested that I be his co-author. And um, the moment I arrived in Phoenix, him and his wife pulled up in an old Cadillac they both got out and embraced me. And so it's like, okay, this is not going to be a struggle. And because he had time on his hands, he and I could actually sit together and watch his matches, I think on VHS, and have him just walk me through what he was thinking each time. And one of the most interesting parts was, uh, I, you know, he didn't really want to lose the title to Bob Backlund. He had Eddie Graham and Vince McMahon Sr. had uh, invited superstar Billy Graham onto uh, Vince McMahon Sr.'s yacht in Fort Lauderdale. And they were sitting below deck and they said, okay, here's the plan. Bruno's burnt out. He doesn't want to carry the title anymore. We're going to give it to you. And then we're going to give it to Bob Backlund. Uh, But Bob Backlund isn't quite ready yet. He's down here in Florida. He needs some more seasoning. And Vince McMahon Sr. was very specific. You will win the title on this day and you will lose the title on this day. It wasn't, there was nothing fluid about it. This was the plan. And as that day, it was nine and a half months. When it got to about the eight and a half month mark, he began to feel that he shouldn't lose. And he didn't feel, he felt he was colorful, which he was. He felt that he was drawing rapturous crowds, which he was. And for all of Bob Backlund's wrestling abilities and all of his character as a human being, he didn't feel that Bob Backlund 
had the flamboyance that uh, a, a WWE champion should have. And so he was lobbying to turn uh, himself babyfaced. And he went to Vince Sr. with this. And Vince Sr. was quite gracious and understood the pain that he was going through. But he said, look, Billy, a deal's a deal. I told you specifically when you're going to lose. You've done a great job, but no, I'm not turning you babyface. You'll have rematches with Backlund, but Backlund is my guy. And so Graham was trying to get the fans to turn him babyface. I realized, I think uh, Tommy and Bully, were you guys uh, around then? Are you guys old enough to have remembered watching him? No, I watched the Kung Fu guy. That's who you knew. Yeah. But he was getting big ovations in New York, in Boston, in Philly. I mean, those were, you know, ECW cities. So they dug a guy like superstar Billy Graham, who right. was so flamboyant. And um, he showed me when we were watching these videos that he would wear white suddenly, like to send this subtle message look, I'm a baby face, I'm wearing white. And then he would do things like throw his headband, his wristbands, his knee pads, he'd throw them into the crowd, a precursor to Hulk Hogan, who admits he stole a lot of stuff from superstar Billy Graham. And the fans were into it. By and large, the fans were cheering for him. But when that day came and he had to lose, he did, and he was shattered, so shattered that he actually suffered something of a breakdown and removed himself from the greater wrestling community. I mean, he had rematches, uh, but when that run was over, he, he left. And a year after uh, headlining Madison Square Garden, he was digging underground sprinklers in Phoenix back home. Wow. So that's how quickly his fall occurred. Wow. But 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 Keith, in your opinion, why did he take it so personally? I mean, it, it is instilled in us. I know how me and Tommy were brought up in the business that this is business. You never take anything personally. Why do you think it hit him and affected him so hard? I think, you know, look, I can only place uh, armchair psychologist here. You know, he was raised in a household with a a, a, a disabled, bitter, abusive father. I had met his older sister at one point and his sister, uh, well, she had kind of a regal bearing to her. So I got the, he, his brother was a very well-respected police officer in Phoenix. And I got the impression he was always the troubled kid in the family. And now, he was the star of the family. Finally, he proved everybody wrong. And once he was in that spot, I don't think emotionally he could really handle sacrificing it. Even though as George Napolitano will tell you, because George Napolitano had long conversations with him, they were dear friends. He'd go, people are not gonna look at you like the guy who lost. They're gonna look at you as the guy who was the champion. You will always be a champion in their eyes. He just couldn't handle it. Yeah, and Billy, I mean, you've also been there where you have been convinced something doesn't make sense, but yet the company does it anyway. Like, and it's like, hey, but I'm drawing. Hey, but this, or how about, and they just 
I, you could see Vince McMahon senior's vision and yes, a deal is a deal. I told you specifically what you're going to do, but then on the other hand, it's just like, but like, how do you not hear these ovations or all the times I sold it out? So then, you know, and then there could be the whole like psychological issue. Like obviously he did go through in his life that like, I mean, it could, it could weigh heavy on your shoulders and uh, apparently it did. Uh, dude, I loved your book. I totally didn't even remember that you wrote it and you've written a lot of books that I really enjoyed. So kudos to you as the author and what an experience that is like for you to be able to, cause I also know you're a fan, like to sit down with the guy that you're going to read the book. I mean, write his book, but also get to sit down and watch him recap those ma amazing memories in his life and his career. Because for a lot of us, like, you know, like me, I know the Kung Fu guy. I don't know that guy who's, you know, selling out Madison Square Garden. And I mean, that was really, if you look at his peak of his career, that was his peak. And then he had a, a few ups and downs. But I mean, what an experience it is just to sit back and like, listen to the guy tell his story. Or again, just be able to watch that visually. And you listen to those crowds and it goes back to me that famous commercial they did back in the day with all the old timers with Fred Blassie, Ernie Ladd, Gorilla Monsoon, and they're all watching like, and they're talking about how the business has changed, but they're watching themselves in their heyday. Cause as I know, I experience as when I get older, I'm like, I'll watch some of my stuff and be like, man, I forgot I did some of that stuff or like, look how I used to move. Like, I mean, it, it it's very, very cool that you got to do that. Yeah, and it, you know, and the, there was a sadness tinged in there. And in fact, you say you remember that kung fu character, and I believe, and I think he would have concurred with me on this, that the kung fu character was an extension of that breakdown he had because he did not know martial arts. He had a shaved head. He had male pattern baldness, which he'd inherited. Uh, the steroids certainly did not help. Uh, you know, in terms of hair loss. And he came in, Vince McMahon Jr. now, 82, was running things. And he's like, superstar, you didn't tell us this is what we're getting here. He brought him in to challenge Backlund. They did an angle where he destroyed the belt. Right. And Backlund cried. Um, you know, Vince McMahon Jr. had told me that had... He'd been in charge and not his father in 1978. He would have acquiesced to superstar Billy Graham's demand. And in Vince McMahon Jr.'s words, he would have been my Hulk Hogan. So it was that close. Wow. And now he calls him back because he loves him. He's a fan of his. Um, and who does he get? He gets this depleted guy with a shaved head in a Kung Fu gimmick, some people, and a Fu Manchu, some people did not even think it was superstar Billy Graham. There were rumors that he was actually dead yeah. and this was a, a, an imposter. With perhaps one of the worst finishes ever, the chop. Yeah. I need to know chop. <laughs> the judo chop, but the, the follow through was amazing. But you know what? We are still talking about it. A hundred percent. So yeah. who knows? He he left an impression. How many terrible gimmicks have we seen that we've forgotten about? Yeah. We're still talking about that. Now, again, you were young at the time, so you remember everything from when you were a kid and falling in love with wrestling. But I was in my 20s then. I still remember it. <laughs> Keith, 
the what superstars relationship with the WWE was always a bit what word would you use strained fraught, fraught, fraught with tension yes okay when did they start keeping each other's at arm's length? They obviously were able to get back on the same page when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame, but then it seemed to fall apart it again. It did. You know, um, Dave and I were discussing this, and I think we were discussing it when we were at the uh, the Royal Rumble weekend. Um, Our Dave LaGreca or the fake Dave impersonator, <laughs> imposter who does that other dirty Yeah, no, the guy who has the kung fu gimmick who calls himself <laughs> um, And, you know, guys of a certain generation, you know, I, whether you're talking about superstar Billy Graham or Ric Flair or Donald Trump, you know, there's this attitude, Trump used to say it, that if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back harder. And if superstar Billy Graham perceived something as a slight, whether it was a slight or not, he went on the war path. And I'm going to say this, and he was a friend. And, you know, the last time we communicated with, with each other, you know, he told me, I love you, that, you know, this is five or six weeks ago. He sometimes was quite irrational with the charges he leveled at people. And he said some very absurd things which do not bear repeating. So he would come after WWE. He would take shots at people. People were his friends. He said, Abdullah the Butcher shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because he bled a lot and he gave people hepatitis. You know, superstar Billy Graham bled a lot too, not as much as Abdullah, that was his calling card. But it's like, Abdullah was nice to him. Abdullah lent him money when nobody else would lend him money. Why was he going after Abdullah? And when you do that, you know, you're spreading a lot of bad energy and people don't want you around. And how can WWE have him backstage as an honored guest when nobody knows what's going to come out of his mouth next? Maybe they're being nice to him. A week later, he's going to go online and say something else. And his poor wife, Valerie, who's a saint, and I'm not saying this lightly, she had to bear the brunt of this. She had to deal with a husband who was suffering from health problems and now is now alienated from the world that he was supposed to grow old in gracefully. And she had to deal with the loneliness and she had to deal with all the doctors and the hospitals. And that's a lot uh, taking care of somebody because, I mean, he also with, you know, he paid the price uh, physically for the, for what he did, you know, in his career in the sense of like, Hey, you lose your, you know, your hip is the first thing to go on wrestlers from taking bumps. But then also like, I mean, and he was very, very, uh, like I said, honest in the book about how many years straight he was on of steroids. And I believe yeah, it was like, he said he was taking steroids at 100 times the recommended dose. Now, look, he's superstar Billy Graham. He's a hype master. He grew up in the uh, there was a certain period where he was in the ministry. He was around a lot of evangelical preachers. Maybe that's a little exaggerated, but I am sure uh, he was taking 
steroids in dangerous amounts, even more than the guys later on who patterned their careers after him. Right. And, you know, he suffered joint degeneration from that. So he had ankle problems. You know, he was in, a, he was, he had a liver transplant in 2002. That he was able to live another 21 more years is miraculous. And because even with the liver transplant, you know, people don't live forever with a liver transplant, maybe seven or eight years if you're lucky. He kept, he lived a normal life to a degree, but he, his health never really got better. Did you guys uh, ever see the promo that he cut? Like, remember Vince on Saturday mornings would be standing in front of the ring and he'd be like, now let's bring in superstar Billy yeah. Graham and the Grand Wizard. And 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 Vince is, you know, hyping up the, the match, whatever. And Vince says to Superstar, well, how do you plan on getting ready for this next match against so-and-so? And Superstar goes, I'm going to be taking seven bottles of Decca and 10 hits of Winstrel and Diana. And he's blatantly just running down the list of all the gas he's going to take. Well, they also weren't illegal back then. It was know, just again. And, and I'm popping so hard because you think of the wellness policy today. You know, could you imagine Superstar walking in? They go, Superstar, you failed the test. And Superstar going, there's no way, brother. There's no way the Superstar could fail the test. But Superstar, you said in the promo, you ridiculous. Oh, my Keith, God. Do you have a favorite uh, Superstar Billy Graham moment for yourself? I mean, they're, they're personal moments. I tell this story a lot. Um, I remember he and I were in a, a Mexican restaurant and there was a very attractive waitress speaking with us and we were both trying to charm her in our pathetic way. And she's like, who are you guys? You know, and he's like, oh, I'm the former WWE heavyweight champion and this is my co-author. And she gave us a look like, boy, are you guys a couple of losers? Like I would ever believe that. Keith, I witnessed you build a fence one night in a bar. I don't remember the exact where we were, but you were talking to a young lady and you had boxed everybody out. I'm like, look at Keith working over there, my man. That's right. Well, I've been around you guys, so if, I, if I'm not a little competitive, I'm not going to get anywhere. Keith, you're the man. Uh, Keith, I, I know yesterday was hard for you because it wasn't just uh, – a pro wrestler that passed. It was a friend uh, that passed and you had a long relationship with him and his, and his family wife. and his wife. Yeah. Happened. And his wife. Yes. And uh, I just want to, I just want to thank you for taking the time today and really educating us and educating our listeners. And uh, I, I can't wait for the new book. We got, we got about 60 seconds. So really quick, Keith, just any information you can give us on the new book that's going to be coming out. I mean, I'm just starting it now. So uh, you can, um, anybody who was in the wrestling business at the time of WrestleMania three, it's about how WrestleMania three changed the landscape of pro wrestling. And it doesn't matter which territory you were associated with. You can email me at WM3Story at Gmail. That's WM for WrestleMania, three number three, story at Gmail. Hey everyone, it's Howard Bender from the Andy Up Podcast. Every weekday, Adam Ronis and I serve you up the picks, plays, and fantasy information needed to win your bets. You know, this isn't just your average sports betting show, though, for one very good reason. We won't tell you what to do, 
unless we've already done it ourselves. That's right. We put our money where our mouths are, so we're just as invested in each bet as you are. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or listen on the SXM app, free for most subscribers. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash bustedopen. That's mintmobile.com slash bustedopen. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash bustedopen. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to Factormeals.com slash Busted50 and use code Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Busted50 at Factormeals.com slash Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. We just spoke to Keith Elliott Greenberg, who co-authored his book back in 2007, and now we bring in... You talk about greats, Hall of Fame photographer, the amazing George Napolitano. George, uh, good morning. Thank you for the time and so sorry for your loss. I know that you were very close to Superstar. Yeah, we were uh, when he first came. We were really very close. And George, thank you for the introduction. Yes, Bubba. George, when was the first time that you met Superstar? Okay, it was in, it was in 1974 in Houston, Texas. I was at a show with Paul Bosch. Uh, I, used to, I used to go to Houston a couple times a year or every every other month or so because they used to have great matches. And I met Superstar there. I, I had read about him. He was in the AWA. And uh, I talked to him, and he was really charismatic and really, really uh, different, <laughs> kind of different, looked different. I did a story, and he had given me his address. And when the magazine came out, I sent it to him and then he, he, he called me right back and thanked me and was really appreciative of, of, of putting him in a magazine. 
And then from, from that, uh, he, he called me to say that he was going to go into the World Bodybuilding Competition in New York, which was run by Dan Laurie. And I said, yeah, really? He says, oh, you, would you get me at the airport? And I said, yeah, I'll get you. And I took him there. And uh, he competed in this uh, bodybuilding competition. And that's really where it started. And from then on, I became his go-to and uh, his sort of chauffeur, so to say. When he started competing in the bodybuilding competitions, yeah. is this when he became friendly with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, he had known Schwarzenegger from California. He knew him, right? He knew him beforehand. And uh, this was an event uh, put on by Dan Laurie, who was a big bodybuilding guy at one time, uh, weightlifter bodybuilder. Uh, Schwarzenegger, I don't believe was there, but I did see Schwarzenegger earlier with Bruno San Martino at an event uh, years, years prior. But I don't think Schwarzenegger was at this one that I recall. George. Um, oh, go ahead, Tommy. We've talked about this in the past. I mean, number one, what a friend to pick somebody up at JFK because I don't care who you are. I'm not going to JFK to pick up anybody. <laughs> um, so that's kudos to you for the airport pickup. Um, it wasn't the first time. <laughs> you uh, you took that classic, I want to say, iconic photo of him uh, in the streets, just kind of looked like he was standing on either a car or – um, where he's just doing the big chest. Uh, on, on, Broadway, on Broadway, there were flower pots, big flower pots, cement flower pots. And, uh, and then there wasn't as many cars on the street. And uh, I used to take pictures of everything. And he's walking around, he's posing. People would yell out his name, superstar, and he would just yeah. flex. He, he just was, uh, was like that. I says, Get up on that, get, get up on that flower bed. And he climbs right up, jumps up, and does the muscle pose on the uh, But it was, and, uh, that was on 8th Avenue and Broadway and around 46th Street, at a, right outside of Howard Johnson, which was his, um, his home for, for a long time. He yeah. would use that. He would use the hotel as his residence. He didn't get a residence early right away and use my address as his mailing address. And I would get uh, all kinds of stuff that I would deliver to him. That's uh, amazing. So he would live minute. at the all hotel. All kinds of stuff <laughs> that you would deliver. <laughs> Man, yeah. you tell that you tell that to a wrestler, and we can, our minds go crazy when you say all kinds of stuff. <laughs> By the no, way, George, you. bully wants your address. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it was all kinds of stuff from various people. How they got my address, I don't know. But they, <laughs> and I used to come and deliver things. If I didn't drive them like to the Philadelphia Arena for the TV, I would come with a care package. <laughs> George, talk about like because you hear the stories of all the sellouts when Superstar was in the main event. You know, nineteen out of twenty main events that he was involved in were sellouts. What was it like photographer as such as you taking those pictures of him at Madison Square Garden? Well, he, he was just charismatic. Remember, it was the 70s and he fit in perfect with his look and his, and his attitude and just his whole de demeanor fit perfect for the 70s. Crazy, crazy costumes. And uh, up until that time, people just wore trunks and came into yeah. the ring with a robe. He 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 brought out the he brought out the color and made things like that. Now, as far as photographing him, 
I, I always remember this. He would put somebody in a headlock and then he would tell them, turn around, look at George, look at George. And he would twist <laughs> twist him to face me so that he would be on top and I would get a picture for the cover. He needed to be on the cover, not just inside. And uh, he had some some really great matches with Dusty Rhodes in the, in the bull rope. Really, really good. And the same with Mil Mascaris at that, around that same time. Those two were really big opponents. And they just, both Mascaris and Dusty looked looked different too in their own way. So the matches with, uh, with, with Superstar were really sellouts. At that time, they used to sell out not only the garden, but also the felt form, it was called, the theater right behind the garden. And if you wanted to, to get a ticket, they would try to sell you into the, where, where they would do a collect a closed circuit. And that was another 5,000 people. So you were getting 20, 21 plus five next door for Superstar. George, tell us about your interactions with Superstar Billy Graham on that, that famous day that you drove him to Baltimore. I believe this would have been the day that superstar Billy Graham defeated Bruno San Martino to become the WWF yeah. World Heavyweight yeah, that Champion. That was uh, April 30th, I, said, I know the date, April 30th, 1977. Uh, prior to that, uh, his birthday was coming right up. And um, and he says, you, you drive me to Baltimore? I said, Baltimore? I said, he says, yeah, I want to go face Bruno. I said, oh, okay. It was a Saturday night. And uh, driving up there, he says to me, he says, hope you got a lot of film. You need a lot of film for that camera. I says, come on, how many more pictures do I need of you and Bruno? I got more than I can ever use. He says, no, this is a good one. This is going to be really good. I says, how can it be any better than I've seen you before? I'm taking you. We're having a good time. We'll stop to eat. We'll have a good time. So uh, as we get there, I... People said everybody knew, this person knew, that person knew. Nobody knew. He didn't tell me that I'm winning the belt tonight. Look. So I just went went blindly. putting. And at that time, uh, film came in little canisters, 36 pitches on a little canister. And I didn't know when the end was coming. I had no idea. And I just snapped away when he went with Bruno. But I just figured uh, it's just another match. I didn't, if I knew it was going to be in that important, I would have taken more pictures <laughs> than, than what I did. But I had enough. And uh, and then when he, after he pins Bruno, he he turns around, looks at me, and he, like he points at me and wants to know if I got the shot. So I nod, yeah, I got a shot after the referee holds up his arm. And he goes to the back. And then somebody calls me and says, uh, Superstar wants to leave. I said, leave. I said, okay. And I went to the back. He was still in his ring gear. He gets in the car, and we drove from uh, Baltimore back to, to New York. And he got dressed in the car when we went to the rest stop. It was a big uh, celebration dinner, a hot dog or whatever <laughs> we ate on the way back. Uh, you- wait, really quick, Tommy, because I just want to emphasize that story. Like, George is with superstar Billy Graham after he wins the WWF championship. He's still in his trunks, driving him from Baltimore to New York and celebrating with him with a hot dog, his celebratory dinner. I mean, that, I mean, George, that is amazing. That is an amazing story. Well, that's, that's how it happened. I mean, that's, that's truly the way it was. There's been other, uh, 
other reports that uh, you that people were throwing stuff. People were really not throwing stuff. They were stunned. They didn't know what happened. As to, to see the guy leave with the belt, I I would think that a lot of people in their own mind thought that he was going to have to give it back because uh, they they announced him as champion, but uh, people were stunned. You, Bruno, you keep, Bruno ain't going to lose <laughs> in Baltimore. Come on. I remember seeing that picture and like in the wrestling magazine, I wasn't, I wasn't the fan that I, that I became, but like, I was like, he clearly had his foot on the rope and Uh like, how could they, I mean, so I could see the whole Dave was there when undertaker lost in the streak. It kind of had that same air taken out of the building. Yeah. uh, Cause you've watched, I've watched the match since then. And it's like, huh? Like there's no way that's (laughs) happening. But it's cool that it did because it really was his career peak. Hey, did you also take the famous picture? He's holding the title and his entire side of his face is completely bloody. But like it that was in Florida. He's got such great color contrast that you captured. And like even looking the way he it was literally the the uh, right after the match. It was in it was in Florida. Oh, really? It was a title title match, and I want to say it, it could have been against. It was a big match, and I believe it might have been, have been against Harley Race. Nice at the end of the match in in the dressing room at the Orange Bowl. That was at the Orange Bowl, I believe that's in Jacksonville, Florida. That's what that was. Nice. And I, know the I, I love that picture. Up, he's holding out the belt, looking. He's bleeding. Yeah. His whole side of his face is bleeding. Yeah. George, was there a big difference between Wayne Coleman, the the man, and superstar Billy Graham, the superstar? When he was wrestling, he wasn't Wayne Coleman. He was superstar. He was star, star, or superstar. He wasn't Wayne Coleman. When he when he was on, he was out. Being out, I'm trying to say when he was when he's out, he's on. He was always in character. I mean. I, People just recognize because, again, we're going 77. That's like uh, almost 50 years ago. I mean, uh, and and even if you didn't follow wrestling, you didn't know anything, you knew he was different. You saw him in the street, and he was in the street a lot in New York. He just had this uh, this uh, this appeal, this look, this look about him was a lot different than uh, what, what became later, where you see all kinds of freaks and geeks walking the street and <laughs> You know what's going on. <laughs> How did he get along with his fellow wrestlers, George? That's a good question. Um, everybody liked him. Contrary to what people say today, he he, he was liked. Yeah, he, he was good friends with Ivan Koloff. I know that. Ivan Putsky was friends with Ivan Putsky. Ivan Putsky wanted to become a bodybuilder, and if you look, Ivan Putsky was round and small and barrel barrel chested and he became this muscular guy thanks to superstar but uh, he was he was friendly with several people but that being said he didn't go to the bars at night he didn't he didn't drink uh, at the bar he didn't hang out after the matches he he wanted to get home get get something to eat some crazy stuff from the uh, from the deli across the street from the Howard Johnson he wouldn't want to go to the restaurant he would get this uh what, yogurt and all these other crazy things that people would eat if you're a bodybuilder and type. And he wanted to get up in the morning and work out. That was his, his whole intent was to be muscular and work out. 
And that being said, just an aside to that, he never liked his legs. His legs, he said, his legs don't look good. I said, they don't match the rest of my body. So if I was to shoot him, I had to shoot him knee up. <laughs> nice. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Did, had you had you you had become so close with him yeah. that you and your wife had had him over for dinner at your oh. home a couple of times, right? Uh, more than a couple of times, you know. Uh, well, we'll talk about a dinner episode. Uh, my wife is cooking dinner, and she were Italian. If we have, we're going to have veal cutlet parmesan and spaghetti. She said, ah, I can't eat. But he ate it. He ate a whole big bowl. But prior to that, my wife puts out a big, big salad bowl. You know, you have salad before Italian. You have salad before your macaroni. And the salad bowl, no sooner the salad bowl go on the table, he grabs the whole salad bowl and drags it right in front of him and starts eating. My wife looks at me. He just... She goes to him, that was for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing, George. You know, oh. okay, another incident, it could have been the same day, I, I don't think so. We used to watch wrestling from Florida on a little screen on UHF. And I said to him, uh, tonight there's wrestling from Florida. Really? I said, I haven't seen that. In all I haven't seen that. I don't know what they're doing there. Says you want to watch it? Okay. Now I got a 12-inch TV with a little little antenna <laughs> to, to try to get better reception. And he grabs the chair and he puts he puts the chair right in front of the TV and he starts watching it. And Dusty Rhodes came on. Dusty Rhodes is going to sing song and going crazy. He says, He stole my interview. He stole my interview. What's he saying? <laughs> because at that time you didn't know what people were saying or doing in other parts of the country. People copied everybody in different places, and you really didn't know. The only thing you knew was the person who was saying it. You thought it was their act, their thing, their shtick. And and he was mad, mad at Dusty. And he says, ah, but he's not the only one that copies me. That damn Jesse the Body Ventura. He ain't got no body. He's trying to copy <laughs> me, too. Such great old wrestler stuff. <laughs> hey, uh, George, you got a favorite moment uh, with Billy? Well, it really was um moment had to be when he won the title because he, he beat my guy, Italian, Brooklyn, Bruno. That was uh, one of the favorite moments. But uh, there was no real moment that sticks out. He was just really nice. nice. We were just really friends. Yeah, man. And uh, George, yeah, I'm George, Keith was telling us that um, – that superstar had had a deal with Vince Sr. that he was going to win the championship on the on a certain day and then lose it on a certain day to Bob Backlund. As that day got closer, <clears throat> superstar did not want to drop the championship. Were you friendly with him around that time? Can you talk um, to his demeanor? Or had he said anything to you about not wanting to drop the championship and turn himself babyface? You know, I've heard that story, but I don't know if I believe that story. I really, really don't. Because he never mentioned, I'm going to lose. Oh, look what they're doing. He said, but he did say, I want to, I, I would like to stay here a long time. I want to become a baby face. I want to become a good guy, a good guy. People, people are cheering me. They're cheering me now. He says, but they want me to just, they were afraid they couldn't control him. Because he was he was getting bigger, than, he was getting bigger than wrestling at that time. 
and he couldn't control him. As far as them having a date that he was going to drop it, I, I don't know that that's 100% true. I'm not going to say it isn't. I'm not going to say it is. He never mentioned it to me. But he, but he would tell me things like in a roundabout way. But I know he wanted to stay. He wanted to be, have a, a new persona, have it become a, this good guy because people were cheering him. They were liking him. And, they're in, uh, and again, this was the 70s. And he, he fit the mold and the look of the 70s with his, uh, his, just his whole look, the whole look about him, his colors and his things that he wore. Tie dye, the mutton chops, the friggin' big ass sunglasses. He was everything. The the I love the bell bottom jeans. They were yeah. just like so. Just walking. I could when you're telling. I remember seeing different pictures that obviously you took of just like him walking down the streets with the fedora, yeah. the base, not the f baseball cap. Those type of like jean denim hats that like like just like yeah. he looked like what he was a superstar. Hey, uh, I, I know back in the day they used to also, because Dave and I were talking about the size of his arms, and I remember they used to take tape measures and measure guys' arms in the magazines. Mm -hmm. um, did you ever take that uh, no. that photo, and how big were his arms? No, I, I didn't take the picture of them <clears throat> measuring him, but I did take many, many photos of him working out in the gym. He used to go to the Mid-City Mid Gym. Mid-City Gym, yeah, man. I remember, oh, man, you're bring, you're. I love this stuff because I was just going to say, I remember that the double, the double, yeah. there's a bench pitcher and he's got the tank top that says mid city gym. And then yeah. there yeah, it Bully's is. Got him. <laughs> Bully's got these pictures right at the, uh, right at his fingertips as George is talking <laughs> about it. And George, you took this picture, right? Oh yeah. For sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there it is. The caption even said superstar Billy Graham training at mid city gym located at 244 West 49th Street. Yeah. Wow. It was it was right next door. It, it was connected to the hotel that he uses his residency and I believe it was the Howard Johnson. People would go to the Howard Johnson, stay at the Howard Johnson and then the night of the garden show they would go to the Edison Bar across the street from the Edison Hotel which is lying on 47th Street. That's where everybody would go after the matches on a Monday night. And that, and, and that mid city gym just closed down. I want to say about five, six years ago, but it's yeah. been open. Yeah. And, and cause even as recent when it was open, I know that the rock would go there whenever he was yeah. in New York, he would go to the mid city gym. It was, it was convenient. And the, and the, and the owner was a big wrestling fan. And at first he was saying, no, you can't take any pictures in here. People. But then when he saw, I took a few and it was in a magazine. He was getting, he was getting uh, promotion, so to say. I could do anything I wanted. <laughs> it didn't make sense, you know. And uh, he didn't want you to take your shirt off in the place. You had to wear a shirt or a cover up or something. Oh, sounds like my kind of gym. <laughs> <laughs> and they used to take the shirt so I would get better pictures, you know. Yeah. Hey, George, uh, just straight up. I mean, I always give you your flowers, but we were talking earlier about we feel that superstar Billy Graham didn't get the flowers that he was when he was alive. But for you, man, you have given myself Dave Bully and so many wrestling fans so many great memories when you're talking seriously you're making me when I was a, a young kid and falling in love with this thing called wrestling I can't thank you enough for the memories that you helped capture you're the first person to ever put me in a wrestling magazine I love you forever for it but 
Man, oh, you, you right. have given so much to the wrestling industry and you deserve as much praise uh, as anybody. And I'm glad you got to have that relationship with superstar Billy Graham. And I'm glad that me and Bully have that relationship with you as well. So you definitely oh, thank you. It. I mean, you, you guys were nice to me. I mean, really, it's a two-way street. I, I just act the way I, I did. And, uh, George, for the most part, you got us over. <laughs> the, the way social media can help wrestlers, young wrestlers, <clears throat> get over today, you were the original social media. You were a photographer who put pictures of us in his magazines you helped get us over and that's when why we were nobodies and you didn't have to do that for us and for so many others see but but for me i had so many magazines it depended on when it was i would do two three four five six magazines a month right so i had to fill pages and i just i i didn't want to fill pages with <laughs> They're filler. So just say hey, George, it, George. They were filler. Stop they were talking. Filler. No, but 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 I, I want to say this it's as Mago a fan. Vile and Bubba Ray Dudley. He can fill at least two pages. No, but I do want to say this, and I understand where Tommy and Bully are coming from. You were one of the, you brought just like Terry Funk did in the ring. You brought credibility to ECW because sure. you were one of the few like mainstream old school photographers that would go into the ECW arena. Uh, and you did that. Like, you know, you went in there and took pictures of ECW and I'll even Dave, say for it. Me, as, this was before ECW, man. This yeah, was, this, be, this was Tommy Mario, Dreamer uh, for Savoldi's. This was Mario Savoldi, ECW. Yeah, this was unknown. Yeah, but, like I, yeah, I but, say it all the time, the, man. Like my grandfather brought that magazine to my grandmother's brother's wake and was going hey come here and pulling out of his jacket <laughs> this is my son i mean my grandson it's such a proud moment to be in a magazine and that like and dave just like you you i mean we grew up with these magazines between bill's magazines yep. and george's stuff to be in them this was our internet this was how anybody else could see us and whenever i walk into a stationery store which barely exists anymore and I knew I was in that magazine or an airport. I open it up and I, everywhere <laughs> I'd show my picture everywhere and I'd walk out. Yeah, when I said fill pages, I didn't mean it <laughs> that you you guys were filler. No, I. But I, I, I just no, no, not but, me, George. <laughs> I just couldn't. I just couldn't use the same guys all the time, and I like going, and I I went everywhere, so I wanted to put people that I saw all the time in the magazines and in the, I also did the programs for the garden and I would put Ted Adams and uh, Rocky really? Tomato. Wow. Yeah. For at least five years, I used to do the program and I would use, that's why you would see Johnny Rods, SD Jones. Uh, and I said, Rocky Tomato, you know, all kinds of people. Juan Caruso. I would put all these people in the magazine in the program, which was like a magazine because I would see them and they would say, where's my picture? Where's my picture? And so I had a, Put everybody. I, that's why I learned. You put everybody, and at some point, everybody's going to be going to be a, a star. And George, we we George. talked about you last week as well because coming off a of backlash, you know, we were giving you your flowers about you were one of the first photographers to really go over to Puerto Rico, take pictures of you know of you know Carlos Colon and Abdul the Butcher, and put those on the covers of the magazines. That you were you were really the first person to really do that. It was, it was in the 70s. Here's how it really happened. Jose Gonzalez, uh, we'll just say Jose Gonzalez, yeah. at that time was a, was a good friend. 
I used to go out to eat with Jose Gonzalez, Pedro Morales, and Manny Soto. After the shows, we used to go to Chinatown and a whole lot of places late at night just to eat after the shows. And uh, Jose tells me, I'm going to be the new booker in Puerto Rico. I says, booker? He says, yeah, I'm going to be in charge. You, you come, you got to come, you got to come. I want people to know about Puerto Rico. So I went to Puerto Rico, and that was like 77, 78, 76. So I was going to Puerto Rico from the 70s before... Before, before anything, and it was crazy, crazy. People they used to talk about the Texas Debt Match. At the, they were they they used to do all this crazy ECW stuff. Twenty years before ECW, right. yeah, they did time. in Puerto Rico. And I, I knew I I knew if I went there, I was only get a couple with Abdullah Cologne, or or uh, Hercules Ayala, or somebody who was going to be on the cover, with some kind of crazy match that I'm going to use. That's why I went there. They just treated me nice. The weather was great, and it was fun. I remember a, a centerfold that you took, and it scared me. And being scared from a pitcher is one thing, and it was Carlos and Hercules Ale in fire. Yeah, and in and fire. I could see the flame in Hercules Ale's eyes. Yes. And well, I was just like, what am I looking at? Okay, and right after that came a hurricane. Here's what really happened. <laughs> <laughs> The wind picked up, the wind stopped blowing, and the flames, instead of instead of just going up, started coming towards me. I got singed in my eyebrows. <laughs> the flames came out towards me. I said, what am I doing here? And then I backed away, and then we had a big hurricane. Because nice. this, this was the, the, the prelude to the uh, to the hurricane. And that's how I got, that's how you see the, the flames looks like it's coming at you, because it was coming at me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> George, uh, we love you. Thank you so much for giving us your time this morning to talk about Superstar Billy Graham. And again, thank you for everything that you've done for pro wrestling, George. It it means a lot. It always is an honor to have you on this show. And uh, thank you again for for coming on. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, Please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Catch the full three hours of Busted Open Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Busted Open Trial to start your free trial today. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.